0: podcast. I am your host, Kristen Claire, and I'm here with my good buddy, Drew Garrison, <laughs> who's also a host. I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> we're just really bringing out those kinks. Oh my god. I definitely need a drink. What'd you bring for me today? <laughs> uh, I brought something that'll definitely bring you back to life. Oh, little Klondé, you were uh, telling me that I need to get some of that in my body.
1: Yeah, so guys, today what we're drinking is Klondé Sotol.
0: Um,
1: Sotol is a uh, spirit that actually comes from Mexico. And a lot of people for a long time actually thought that it was made with agave, but that's actually not true. It's made with like this desert spoon plant that they call Del Cilion And um, it's similar to agave. It looks like agave. If you didn't know better and you weren't a botanist, you'd say, that's agave. What is a spoon plant? Um, I guess, I, I don't know, again, you're, you're calling out my lack of botanist nature, That's and um, it's, it just looks like this, it, it the desert plant that has like all these like tiny like needle leaves coming off of it, and uh, Chihuahua is a very interesting place, Is one of the states that you can get it from, you can also get it from Durango, but uh, this one here is from Chihuahua. And, uh, you know, they go through all kinds of different weather patterns and stuff like that. I mean, I've seen pictures of sotol covered in snow, and then, um, you know, a couple months later, it's dry as a bone. And uh, it's a plant that is heavily influenced by its terroir. And so the one that we're drinking here, um, which is made by Eduardo Arrieta, is uh, from this area where it used to be a seabed. So there's a lot of like salt deposits in the ground and stuff like that. And then they also have found dinosaur bones there. Oh, cool! So I like to joke that you know when you're drinking this, like you're drinking dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> and the, you know this stuff is like it's it's abundant, but you know they don't really do huge batches of it. So for example, you know we're drinking um, this lot, which was only consisted of sixty bottles total. So um, six zero. Six zero. Yeah which is pretty, pretty insane. Now, in terms of the process, it's pretty close to Mezcal. You know, they're cooking underground and, um, you know, a lot of like kind of old world methods, uh, wild fermentation. And uh, it's, it's really kind of kind of fun thing. But for me, sotol is very, very polarizing. Like there is, you know, a pretty healthy amount that's available in the U.S. And to me, a lot of it is horrible. Why would you say that? Because I think that when it comes to Satole, it's something that needs to be aggressive. It needs to be complex. And some of the Satolls that are out there just leave me like really disappointed and just kind of like knowing what it is capable of being and having kind of like these dumbed down versions
0: of it available. It's you, really frustrating for me. Do you think some of that might be like um, let's prepare the market for the real stuff? Or like this is, or this is the 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 most easily marketable style of sotol would be this soft, easygoing.
1: I think there's probably elements of that, but I also think that at this point and the rate that mezcal growth is going, whether it's just mezcal or agave destilados, bacanoras, rices all these different things that are coming out when you start to put out something that is just like softer for like the general audience, like you're doing, you're, you're doing a disservice to the spirit as a
0: whole. Uh, I'm definitely one that's going to agree to that statement, but I'm always, I'm always curious um, uh, about, you know, what, what the end game is and where, where you start. And, and do you start, you know, uh, in a way that, you know, is going to struggle or uh, even though it's honest, or do you start in a way that you go, okay, well, we're gonna you know like let's say a lot of gin drinkers start with Hendrix it's softer it's more it's more approachable it's a little bit more floral and then you know a couple years down the line they're drinking Plymouth you know room temperature neat <laughs> yeah <laughs> by itself
1: and, and, I, and I get that and I think there's you know maybe for some people there's some of those so tolls can work as and you know, I always refer to stuff like that as like gateway spirits yeah, exactly you know yeah. and um, and for the most part I can really I can really recognize you know that. I I don't know I guess for me I've never looked at it that way. What's so tall? I think because some of the ones that I've had like they're just they're just bad spirits. Like I just really don't enjoy drinking them, and so I think I don't even look at it as a as a gateway one because I'm like like oh this doesn't taste good. (laughs) It's not even doesn't even have the elements of the thing that I'm going to like. So um, so there are you know brands out there that I really get behind and I really dig and I want to drink more of them. And I'm always down to try new Sotols because they can be so different and so much fun. Um, this line in particular is really cool because they do so much different stuff. And so they have basically have this labeling line. That's all these different colors on the bottles. And so he's like, Oh, I'm going to have the Clondé blue today. I'm going to have the Clondé yellow or, or whatever. And they're made up of different, you know, sometimes it's an ensemble of luchigia and Sotol in like Rota which is crazy. So it's like luchigia is, is the Chihuahua word that they use for agave. So you're basically like the mezcal up there. Um, so they get really complicated with it. and It's a lot of fun, um, and it's just it's it's a very complex spirit. And I you know encourage people to go out there and find this stuff, especially Clonde.
0: Yeah, because explore find find good stores. Like, yeah, like mine. Right. <laughs>
1: that are that are you know pushing these kinds of things and really kind of representing Vesco in the right way. And then you also just have like this really beautiful packaging too. And um, they actually put the thumbprints of the producers on the bottle. The reason being is because for a very long time, those guys couldn't read or write. So their signature was their thumbprint. That's really neat. And so it's kind of a callback to that. Um, and now they, so you can see like the Conde bottle will have a little, has like Eduardo's thumbprint right there. That's right. then really of cool. course it has all the information on it too, which is something that you're always looking for when it comes to agave
0: products. The more information on the bottle, the better. Yeah. I, I love bottles and packaging that are, um, overtly transparent. I know that, uh, TCB will sometimes, um, sit, you know, put the kibosh on being hyper transparent. I know... You know, 86 and Co., um, they they wanted to put all their recipes for all their booze on their labels. And TTB said no because they were afraid somebody would say, cool, well, now I'm going to try to distill this. <laughs> um, which I think is – anybody who knows anything about distilling knows that that's ridiculous. It doesn't matter even if you know the recipe. You're not – you're not going to produce the same thing. Right, but in
1: TTB, again, as a little
0: recap, I mean, this is the government
1: agency who's in charge of approving labels and and things of, just in this situation, of approving labels and kind of, I guess, keeping America safe. Yes. Looks at it from an overprotective, cautious kind of way. So in this one, I mean, it's not, I mean, you're not going to find out how eduardo makes it but you're gonna know the plant varietal the village it comes from the oven that it was cooked in how it was grinded down the water that was used the yeast the fermentation tanks the distillation um the batch size and then also the altitude which is a fun callback for us yeah yeah, because
0: that matters (laughs) we still don't know what's high so if you can somehow get your hands on everything that this bottle suggests Then you could make this. Yeah,
1: right. It's just kind of like, okay, I have, I got some well water, I have a wood fermentation (laughs) tank, and I'm sitting at 1,300 meters, MS and M. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. Okay, well.
0: We're really smart. We'll live
1: in ignorance. Why don't we just drink it? I like that.
0: All right. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. That's lovely. How long is Sotol uh, age for in the ground? Is it similar to Agave? Very similar. Yeah, so
1: you're looking at anywhere from, you know, probably seven to 14 years.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's really uh, key. We always bring this up, this key point, which is, you know, Agave spirits age in the ground, um, grain spirits age in a barrel. Right. You know, so, yeah. so while it might not seem like what you should be paying that much for a white spirit, it, it really matters.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, and obviously if we're if you're talking about a vodka, then you could have that mentality. But, you know, anytime that we're getting into agave and stuff, like that's one thing that you have to factor in. I think a lot of people get gun shy when they look at prices of this stuff, right?
0: Well, especially if you don't know. You know, going back to my own argument of what I was asking you, of you know, whether or not you thought certain sotols were, were uh, gateway drugs, essentially, yeah. right, to to a better uh, a better sotols. I think the counter argument to that is you're not finding Sotol unless you're already a fan of agave spirits. Yeah, I think that's like one of the things
1: and somebody who who sells what I think is the best agave portfolio in California, hands down. Um, and there's, not to say that other people's are terrible, there's a lot of really good portfolios out there. I just think that we have one of the most well-rounded and um, like solid ones, like one to the next are just banger. Yeah, agave super products. interesting. Well, it's been,
0: uh, my understanding of JVS is that is that specifically Agave products have been a focus and a passion for the leadership of the company. Yeah,
1: yeah. when it's going in, it's, it's doing the research and it's seeking things out that not only do we agree with how it tastes, but we agree about how it gets to us and the people that we're taking care of. And so a lot of our brands are actually owned by the producers and, right. and things like that. But but bringing it back to what you said is, yeah, once you get to the sotol part of your journey in in the Agave world, i do think that you're just kind of like you'll you'll maybe try those ones, and maybe that's what happened with me is that by the time i did get to sotol i had gone through this journey of these different agaves from these different places Mm -hmm. and then when i got to the taste
0: profile of certain sotols that came out i was just like this sucks comparatively well i so i will say um at least to your point a little this is spicy this is definitely complex this is um Great acid on it. Uh, I, you know, my mouth is still salivating after that first sip. Um, uh, there are some so some sotols out there that I enjoy that tend to be a little bit creamier mm. uh, than this, but the the is still there. I'm curious, in comparison, in your opinion, solely, well, you know, what what makes this superior? I think it's just the aggressive nature of it. I don't want my
1: sotol to be easy to drink. Mm. You know, I kind of want my palate to get. Beat up and as you drink this more and more, and your palate adjusts to it, you start to bring out so many more notes. Out of it, I think when you have you know some some stuff that does tend to be like the creamier style. To me, it just that's kind of where it ends. You know, it's like it's like hey, this is easy to drink. Like you can just like, right off that first sip, like you're good to go. Like this one, the first sip, it kind of punches you in the mouth a little bit. And then as your palate adjusts to it, I mean, any way that you would with like like a an aged whiskey where that first drink is just everything you've had before. Plus that all melding together. And then as your palate really opens up to it, it discovers things like with every single sip that you take. So having that level of complexity is what keeps me coming back to it. Yeah. Where it's just like, I was like, Oh no, we're, you know, this bottle, this bottle is now going to be gone because I want to keep every single time that I try this, it's something different. It's something new. And I don't get that with, some other of the ones that
0: are out there. Sure, I mean we, we're talking about the um, you know the, those of us who manipulate flavor, and I'm sure sound kind of works the same way, and I know scent definitely works the same way because flavor is scent, right? Mm-hmm. But when when it comes to let's say creating the perfect cocktail, and I do mean like the perfect cocktail, a cocktail that is just crushable, it's delicious, it it's not just simple, but it. It has something that as soon as you taste it, you want you want to go back and taste it. You know, what yeah, you know, it's like that double look when you see somebody that you think you know on the street. You know, you look and you're like, wait, what was that? <laughs> you know, and you have to go back to it. Um, finding finding great flavor um, and as I'll say, an artisan or an, you know an artist in creating those flavors, you want to get as close to perfect as possible and then push it one step further because if, you, if something tastes too perfect, your brain just sort of shuts down. like it goes, yes, that's great, cool. But if if you could create something just a little off, you know that's why bitters are so popular, things like that, you know yeah it's it's you go to perfect and you you give it a little spike in a weird direction. yeah, you know something that complements it, but it makes your brain start going into overdrive thinking, all right, what the fuck was that? All well, right, I got to have more of that.
1: Yeah, even on this one, I mean, I'm, you know, I just took my third sip and like a lot more
0: sweetness came through. Sure. And
1: now I'm at that point where like, okay, now this is crushable. You know, those first two sips where it was a little aggressive and it was like really pushing back onto my palate. It's funny. Like, I literally
0: just got the same thing. There's that, that sweetness right in the mid palate. Yeah. yeah. That's really funny.
1: And so it's, it's you know, and again, I, I, I love this stuff. I love this bottle. I love the guys that are working with it. Um, they do really really good products and they just they keep pushing the envelope and they're really open to suggestions so some of the things that we've sent down to them kind of like hey have you guys ever tried this before they're like no all right let's let's do it and that also just speaks to the relationships that we have down there right Right. is um you know these things that have been formed over years and years and years of working together and then also trusting each other and they come out with like crazy stuff like i get excited when my boss hits me up he goes hey this is about to hit the warehouse buy a couple bottles for yourself you know, and it's just like uh, okay, uh, pay me more. But you know, uh, <laughs> after that, yeah, 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 let's do that. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's a fun product to get to get. Started. So again, this is Clande Sato from Chihuahua. Uh, really, really cool packaging. Uh, Check Czech...
0: pur- purple package.
1: This is like the. It's like supposed to be red. But oh. it looks, this one looks, this one came off way more purple, but this is supposed to be the red oh, okay. one. Okay, all right. So, Mexico, <laughs> baby, you know. Uh, um, so that's kind of what happened with this one. But uh, any one of them, I've never had a, a clonet that I didn't like. The only one that I struggled with initially was one that was brought back to me from Chihuahua that was never made available in the U.S. And it was a batuga. It was a batuga that was done with
0: goat. Oh, so probably really gamey, especially if it's young goat.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know the age of the goat, mm-hmm. but I you know do know. <laughs> yeah, Billy, <laughs> Billy. Um, <laughs> Billy the goat. Yeah, was, uh, cute. I do know that when I first opened it up, it was it was way too aggressive for me. I didn't like it at, at all. And um, I poured it for a couple of friends and stuff like that. I was like, hey, try it, try it. I always love sharing, you know, different agaves. And then as more air got in there, it really transformed it. And then it became like one of my favorite sippers that I had. That's cool. Yeah. So um, and for the people who don't know, uh, Pachuga, during either the second or third distillation, what they'll do is they'll hang a piece of meat over the distillate. And as the vapors rise, they pass through the meat, imparting a certain amount of flavor onto it, which then when it comes back out through the arm of the still
0: and cools back down and liquefies again, now it has well, it doesn't just pass through the meat; it also cooks the meat in the temp, and it, it does light, lightweight lightweight boils it or pressure cooks the meat as well, yeah. which then means that the fats and and all the amino acids, everything from that meat drips into the juice, yeah, which then evaporates again and is distilled both in and mixed into it and then out, and so it the meat itself the meat juice is also being distilled it's at the re- same time as- it's a
1: really interesting process and it's funny you can see people doing it a variety of different ways so you can have meat patrugas but then i've also seen like fruit and botanical bachugas. which tend well. to be my favorite uh, i actually agree yeah. with you yeah, yeah. i think yeah. They, i think the meat ones kind of round off the flavors a little bit too much for it's me whereas whereas the fruits and botanicals add these really beautiful elements to it. Right. So for me, like the Oaxacan nache, which is made worth, oh no, not the Nanche, the Manzanita, which is made with apples. That one is my favorite mezcal, it's so good. And it has this really beautiful element. And also that familiarity of an apple when you're drinking mezcal, it's weird, right? Um, and it's just kind of cool to see how everybody does a little bit different. I mean, I remember one time I was, when I was in Michoacan, was watching somebody make a pachuga And I had always understood meat pechugas as hanging the meat over the top, as right. we had discussed. This guy just straight threw it into the distillate, <laughs> and then I looked at my buddy and I was just like, I was like, hey, that's weird. I didn't know that they did that too. And he's and he just was like, I don't know. I don't know if he knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, which was just great, you know. And that's kind of the, one of my other endearing things about Mexico is you know they're they're learning right there with us. Um. So so that's it. All so go check it out. But now we are going to move on to headlines. headlines. You know, enter soundboard headline music. Headline. Nice. Um, <laughs> um, so to kick it off, we have um, something that we're all pretty familiar with, and it's about to get potentially a lot worse. The U.S. is weighing um, more tariffs on EU products, up to 100% increases on tariffs. Products including whiskeys, cognac, as well as uh, expanding that list to Spanish olive oil, French cheese, German knives. Pretty much a pretty long list of things from the EU now this is all based off of the um, the US trying to improve trade deficits between Airbus and Boeing they believe that Airbus has a competitive advantage, so they're trying to get more... They're trying to balance the playing field, as the administration would put it. Now, this is something that's also been
0: going on since the early 2000s, so this isn't like a Trump-specific thing. No, no, no. This is, this, this is definitely a uh, an old lawsuit that, that's been going on that only just recently got ruled on. If I may impose my own opinion, we just got lucky enough to have this administration be the ones that decide on how to deal with it.
1: Is it luck or miss bad luck it's a lot of bad luck well i also, you know i guess you could you could say this is because uh, i have seen arguments you know supported it was like this is how negotiations go you have to be fierce and all this stuff and i think it's really easy to say that when you're not really that affected by it because on the flip side i work with a lot of brands that are super affected by this and we have tons of friends between us who are also super affected by this. Yeah, well,
0: I am now, as a shop owner... Oh yeah, you are as well. ...personally affected. Yeah. I just had a meeting with Emily, my, my business partner today, where we discussed how we were going to attempt to strategize our purchasing and leveraging what little amount of money for our brand new store that we have in the yeah. bank, whether or not we buy scotch now and slowly put up on the shelves and... and you know sit on a couple cases in hopes that we can we can outlast this thing and and serve our customers and serve our community right without putting ourselves into debt or do we just pass all of that money whatever it costs onto our on our, onto the consumers because you know, it's not our problem, except that it still is our problem. Even that, right. even if even if that was the strategy we wanted to take, I and mean, it's not. But even if, let's say, I didn't have a choice. Let's say I didn't have a little bit of the cushion that I do have in the bank account, and I just didn't have a choice about whether or not I could make those purchases now or not. Yeah. That would still affect me because, you know, today I'm selling a scotch at price A. And now, and now in a month or two, I'm going to be selling same scotch for potentially 25% more. Right. So $60 scotch all of a sudden goes skyrockets. Yeah. Or,
1: or 100% more if these things were for Or 100% more now. Yeah. So yeah. Gonna... I, I think it's put a lot of people in a lot of difficult you know decisions. I mean, like I said, I work with a lot of different um, whiskeys that are affected by this. And it's interesting to see how different companies responded to it. So one was like 25% increase across the board, right? Kind of right away, you know, let's just do it. Let's just, you know, get over it. Um, then we had, you know, our brand Kilhoman who we also happened to import that, you know, the powers of be got together. First, they flew a pallet over to, to the U S in order to avoid the, the increase originally. Yeah, October and then, 15th. and then after that, they had decided to split the cost with us. So that increase is now being absorbed by the distillery and by the import company. Um, and then, you know, some of your major brands, they're, they're all going up. The Diageo brands are going up. Um, the McAllens, they're going up, you yep. have stuff like that. And it's, and again, it's something that feels like it's far away, but we do have a lot of friends that are affected by that. And it is hard to make that decision. So, I mean, like, you know, I have stuff that's going up January 1st. And so I need to have conversations with people kind of being like, do you want to do a bull buy? And not everybody's in that position to do that. No, no. So you just can't sometimes pull that trigger.
0: Just, you know. Yeah. And that doesn't make you good at business or bad at business. It just means sometimes you're just in that position. Yeah. Where it just doesn't work out that you can't do it. And even if you could do it, you know, is the consumer now going to be so frightened off by scotch that now they're looking at at lots of other things or or let's say they don't drink scotch let's say they drink french wines yeah right you know which typically are less expensive than california wines yeah you know significantly for oftentimes better quality i just theory. actually got a you bunch know? from you and um it, yeah. so it, now all of a sudden you're taking that and you're pushing it way up and as let's say as a as a retailer myself you know do i try to Get rid of that all now because nobody's going to want it later, and which means that that's just money that's just sitting on my shelf. That's, you know, right it's not in my bank account, so it's not paying my bills. It means I can't pay my electricity, can't pay my rent, you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, sitting on a product is never, never a good thing. I mean, and you know, kind of
1: to your point, or losing momentum for the Scotch whiskey world and stuff, that was something that Kilhoman felt. They were like, we are the smallest, or well, one of the smallest distilleries out there. And we've built all this momentum since we opened up, you know, 15 years ago, we don't lose that now. So that's why we're going to absorb this cost so that our prices don't go up and it doesn't turn off those fans that like, took the flyer on us and stuff like that. Right. So, so yeah, it's, it's a super bummer and hopefully, you know, these negotiations can turn around. I mean, you know, when we first started talking about this, I think we tried to be positive now that we're a couple months into it, you're seeing that they might get worse and, that's and, horrible. That's not not
0: just a little worse, like all the way
1: worse. All the way worse. All the ways that it can get worse, it is getting worse. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's the, it's a major it's a major bummer. I mean, and again, if you're if you have a store, those are the decisions that you have to make. If you're in a bar, you know, do your prices increase as well? Yeah. You know, and that's all that stuff that you have to adjust and you have to think about and what makes sense what doesn't make sense and so it's it's really is a bummer and you know you hate to see all these companies getting caught up in this and the reality is that it really is probably going to hurt the smaller guys more than it's going to hurt the big guys like don't get me wrong it's going to hurt the big guys of and there will be fallout that will affect people that we yeah we care about but really it's the small guys and i also remember reading this or hearing um a little tidbit that and it and i had to re-listen to it like three times because i thought i kept mis-re- mishearing it like 70 76 percent of the price in scott in scotland for scotch is like tied to taxes right which is crazy to me yeah that is just like oh my god Yes. Yeah. like how how do you operate knowing you being like okay Most of this cost that's going into this is purely all taxes and stuff like that to create whiskey. Right. That's insane to me.
0: So that on top of now all of this. Well, you know, there are a couple of different questions. Like why why single malt? Why not blended? Blended scotch Mm -hmm. far outsells single malt. Superiorly. Superiorly? That's the wrong word. It doesn't I matter. I know. What We're you're making trying to words say. up now.
1: I know what you're trying to
0: say. By a lot. Yeah. So wouldn't it make more sense to offset that cost for the benefit of the United States to place that tax, um, even a slightly less tax on something that vastly outsells?
1: Well, I wonder if that's where it comes. I mean, and it doesn't really make sense
0: because you know, if you
1: you could say like, oh, well, those are those big companies really don't want you, you know, don't want them to do that. So it was like a way to like appease their buddies. It's just like, well, if you take someone like Diageo, and well, Diaggio it's everything. So right. they're affected both yeah. ways. Johnny like, Walker, yeah. Blended. Logavulin. Not, not blended. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're affected either way. Um yeah, I don't I don't understand. And I think that was also, you know, a lot of the criticism of what that original list ended up being was like it just seems so
0: incredibly random. Yeah, it's 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 just dartboard politics.
1: And um, you know, now they've they've released the list which you can look up on what they're considering next. And like I said, Spanish olive oil, German knives you know, more more different types of cheese. Um, looks like there's different pears on here. Fats and oils for milk. Like this, this page goes on and on of things that they are now considering to impose this tariff on. And um, I would encourage people to go out and look at it. Because one, it's amazing what's just on the internet. The things you can find out. It, it's blown my mind. But... Um, <laughs> You know, looking at this stuff, I mean, there's there's coffee on
0: here, like this is crazy. Bunch of olives. Um, you know, I, I was sitting up up here where we're recording, and uh, we were talking about this probably two days ago, and uh, one friend of mine made the joke that uh, that his company was thinking about just taking a teaspoon of sherry and throwing it into uh, into barrels of single malt and just labeling it as vatted malt so there has been just calling it the tax dodger yeah there has been a lot of (laughs) a lot of things so i i I think that is something
1: to to, it's important to touch on teaspooning right can you tell our listeners what teaspooning is no you you do it (laughs) okay well here's my understanding of of what it is so when you when you're teaspooning stuff it is literally kind of what you just talked about where you take a little bit of something different and then put it into that barrel. So then it becomes no longer will it be a um, a single malt. It'll now be right. this like Because this, by by law. It's not just one it's not from one distillery. That's right. So having something from a different distillery that's right. go in there and do that. I mean and again you gotta you gotta think that if you're dealing with thousands of gallons of product, doing that is, is it really going to take an effect? No. Not in
0: the way it tastes. But certainly in the way that you label I, it. I'm hoping that someone does this and enough people are in on the joke that they become a roaring success. That they go out and like buy it just because. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you would I mean, just it. see it and you, yeah, enough people will find out about this that they think it's funny. Yeah. Well, um,
1: there was that story that we had touched on. There was like the, um, the biggest box of wine right. ever sent over that they sent it over in like a big bag right, right. before and they were going to call it like the tariff-free wine right. you know um, I, I think people would get in on that kind of joke and I think with, with teaspooning it's a great way to circumvent this rule and then doing something like that like I mean call yeah.
0: call a scotch the teaspoon
1: yeah I, I mean why not it's, you know and if anybody can do it I'm looking at you Diageo you just released a freaking Ron Swanson whiskey you dedicated an entire is, line to Game of Thrones, like, which is also on.
0: marketing. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's retailing at a higher cost than a uh, Scotch whiskey that's five years older. Yeah, I, <laughs> just because just because it's the Ron Swanson. Yeah, so, I had an account of mine that I saw it, and I was
1: like, "Cause I don't get me wrong, I'm
0: a huge Parks and Rec fan. I love. I'm currently." Again, halfway through season three
1: yeah it's an so, it's an amazing show and mm-hmm. i love ron swanson um and i love nick offerman you know so it was something that i immediately was like oh and i also love Long of Old. i was like all these things come together like and it's violating a lot of my personal rules that i have where i don't buy celebrity endorsed stuff but this <laughs> is a character so that's like my little there's my teaspoon right what
0: about would so would you drink a ron burgundy scotch yeah, because again, it's a, it's, it's, a char- a it's a character. It's not a, it's yeah. not a celebrity. That's my, that's
1: my teaspoon. That's fair. That's, that's fair. my teaspoon. I got you. So I got really excited about it, and I was in, in an account way before you had opened up now, and I was just like, I was like, oh, you have it? He goes, yeah, I'll give it to you at cost. And I was like, dude, thank you. That's, let's do that. He told me at cost. I was like, oh, never mind. Pass. Yeah. Because I was like, if I'm going to spend that, I was like, that's more than the sixty. Because I almost it's, bought it, yeah. and
0: I said... Oh, cool! Give me one at eleven year. Yeah, sure. Give yeah. me one of those. Yeah. Oh, wait, never mind. Yeah,
1: like, what? <laughs> I mean, it, I want to say it's like thirty dollars more. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, how is that a thing?
0: It's it just is.
1: I mean, in the Lagavulin sixteen, arguably one of the best whiskies, consistently year from year. It's my Desert Island Scotch. There you go. I mean, that's yeah, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Okay alright we're, we're all right we're we're spinning back right to now. the headlines <laughs> um, okay so this is a cool little project and I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it um, there is a new council of whiskey masters and basically what they are doing is they are offering courses to get uh, to become like a certified scotch professional a certified bourbon professional and uh, there's different levels that you can go through and then eventually once you complete all these different certifications and you pass all these tests and it's it's controlled by the Court of Master Psalms, which sounds like a Game of Thrones episode, which I love. Um, it's it's something that you can obtain. Now, for most people out there, like we're all familiar with the term sommelier, right? Right. We're, we, we know what those are. Even people outside of the industry know what they are. Um, I know for my like, my like, personal life like my wife has watched those song movies and she, they just blow her mind she's like why would anybody do this you know and i'm like i, was like, I would do it but um yeah it's like so that's something that we're familiar with there's the, yeah um there's Caitlin, this... i don't need your judgments okay
0: <laughs> i uh i choose to spend my life the way i'm spending my life and yeah. i'm fine with that yeah
1: I, I i think there's certainly a level of admiration for it because obviously you dedicate an insane amount to it but it and I always crack up when I, when I hear people become psalms as well. So, I mean, I get it to a certain degree. But, you know, with stuff like this, stuff like the CSS and things is, you know, you, you put all this time in, you end up spending a pretty significant amount of money.
0: A ton of money. As well. I mean, it's a ton of money. It really um, is. To do these things. I mean, and not just, not just the, the cost of the exam itself. Yeah. But the, I mean, the way you get that good is by drinking that wine. And right. You're only getting that wine by someone buying it.
1: You know what? That's really interesting. That's something that I've actually never considered cuz when I think about the expense of it, I'm always thinking the study materials, all the books you're reading on the side, plus, you know, the test itself and whatever other things that they buy you like buying all of those products as well, especially when it comes to wine. Like that that's crazy and I'm curious to kind of see what what this looks like in terms of like the the Categories and outline and stuff like that, but I guess what I'm what I really want to get to, like when you see stuff like this, and you see something that's like a new program, the Certified Scotch Professional, Certified Bourbon Professional, or the CSS or anything these things, do you think they carry weight? In certain circles, yeah, absolutely. And do you think that investment is going to pay off for you, or is that too hard? Is that too hard to say?
0: It's it's hard to tell. You know, I um the United States bartenders Guild offers a similar exam that I've taken two of and I you know I'm proud of that and I so I hold the title of advanced bartender there's um, there's others like CSS you know uh, spirit professionals um, like you mentioned and, and I they, don't have the same, I think, prestige that wine does. Right. Um, for several reasons. Wine, for lack of a better term, has held a certain credence in in society and history a lot more than spirits has. Spirits is typically poo-pooed, you know, if, you, if you're reading through history. There's, there's not like an artisanal movement until recently. So... Looking at, you know, bourbon, looking at scotch, you know, and and the people who appreciate that and the the glorification of the artisanry that goes into that is only, it's a fairly contemporary thing to to have that appreciation for it. Um, You know, in the past, you, you know, you think of, you know, you think of rum runners and you think of, you know, how NASCAR got started by guys running away from the cops, stuff like that, right? So... It's a different. It's a different culture. I think eventually it will, and now I think is the right time to start something like this. That way, you can maintain that momentum of appreciation for something that deserves it.
1: Yeah, and I think you know to that point is we are trying to make this thing better. And I and I do have someone that did the a friend of mine that did the CSS, and I know one of their takeaways was because I asked him, I was like, "Was it worth it?" This is a bar owner who's predominantly serving whiskey. And his feedback was, yeah, I know so much more about stuff that I didn't know. And we've
0: talked about it before. Like, I want to know more about, about Brandy. These courses force you to do that. Right. So you know that they were, there yeah. are going to be questions on that exam, even yeah. if it's not many, yeah, that will do that. Say, you know, I, I've heard cigars show up a lot on on those exams. Coffee, tea shows up on some of those exams. So it, it does force you outside of your comfort zone and in, into a different wheelhouse, which I think if we're talking about it from an education and academic standpoint is what's necessary
1: yeah now if you're a young bartender out there and they say you don't do the the BG guild stuff but let's say you get the CSS do you or or even this new program with the Council of whiskey you know masters like is this something that you think will carry weight with like bar owners and liquor store owners and stuff like that if you walk in and you say I'm a I'm certified
0: Scotch professional level one. What's up? I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I it, you know, because there's there's a lot that goes into that. There's, you know, as a bar owner, what, I guess, what are you trying to achieve? I, my guess would be that, uh, apart from your personal edification, it it you feel like it offers a legitimacy to your program mm-hmm. that you're hoping other people will see. Yeah, You know, it's not it's not just for your own education. You're hoping that that, that stamp of approval, just very much like a college education, you know, and you're getting getting a bachelor's degree, will offer that same stamp of approval that other people can go, okay, well, at least there's this thing. Even if I don't know what it means and I don't know what goes into it, there's this seal of approval that's, that you did a thing. I think in, you know, I, I remember for
1: years being told that like with my degree that I got, it was not necessarily that I got this degree. It was like, oh, you set out to do something and you finished it, right? So that's okay. That's what that pretty much for. So I'm like, I wish I would have paid a lot less for that approval, but you know, right. you know <laughs> I, I
0: I heard that a lot as well. You know, it's funny, I actually didn't finish my college degree. I did eight years in undergrad and walked away with six credits because it was gonna uh, it was gonna force me to, to to pay an additional year's worth of tuition yeah and i already knew what i wanted to do and it wasn't it wasn't that realm with academia anymore so right. it didn't seem worth it again so i walked away after eight years much to the dismay of my family i'm sure but here i am now look at me now i mean <laughs> success i think I guess we'll see i guess we'll
1: see indeed yeah so you know I, I would encourage people go check it out there's some people that are involved with it uh, a mutual friend of ours steve beal is is on their is on their board
0: um, Someone who I just, I mean, I i can't even begin to put into words my admiration for that man.
1: Yeah, I got to work with him for a brief time when I was with Diageo. And, you know, we've had, you know, brief conversations you know, since then over the past few years. And I always feel like I walk away with this new level of appreciation for the business and right. for his contributions and just the little things that he taught me. So, you know, if he's any indication of... Kind of, what this thing is going to be all about, and if he's putting his stamp of approval on it, like that's something that I think is worth looking more into. And I know that there's a lot
0: of other people that are also on this board. Let me see if I. I think I think my fear of something like this is exactly what happened with the sommelier, which is you end up with um, non-professionals earning this exam, and earning these titles. So and so they just you know they're people who don't this is this exam specifically sommelier is an actual title for a job description you know and i think a lot of people want the title but they don't want to do the job yeah and my fear is exactly the same thing is going to happen with this because there's already like this aura of like shitty whiskey guy
1: who, who, yeah, the whiskey, who's, the
0: whiskey alpha. Who's yeah. going to be like, oh, I also have this certification. And it's like... Yeah, well, the, because, you know, who has the most impressive whiskey collections that I see, it's not bartenders. You know, it's not, it's not the professionals. It's the people who make six figures, seven figures, who can afford to buy every goddamn thing and drink it all right but we've talked about this too is that we're super
1: fortunate in that although we do have you know pretty ridiculous collections like we also don't necessarily collect because we get exposed to so many different things and and that becomes apparent like when i do see people throwing events and they throw out things like i saw a dinner that was done that the whiskey pairings were um the Single malt from St. George, the, the one that's like the Japanese one, the Japanese style. Then it was a, like, Hakushu 12. And then it, then it was a Whistlepig 10. Like, it was just like, it was supposed to be a Japanese pairing dinner. It was like, what is happening right now? Wow. Like, this is so weird. But it was like, but then they were like, they teased having a pappy there. You know? Sure. So it was just kind of like, all, none of these things are making sense to me. Like, you know, and stuff. But that's, again, that's kind of, what, yeah I guess that's what you it's what you get you get people that are chasing after these different things and you know these certifications but but I guess if you if you went through this process right don't you think that it would maybe give you the deeper pre- depending on what level you went to right because anybody can go out there and get a level one
0: psalm it's pretty obtainable thing to it's do. very it's very obtainable and it's so obtainable that they actually split it into two parts. And now they have the intro. It's it's a four part exam now for the entire sommelier, where it used to be three. So now they have the intro, then they have level one, because it was so easy and so many people were doing it and so few people were going all the way through to the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they they split it into. So the first one, you pay for a course, you sign up for a course, you have to retain the knowledge. You know, it requires mental effort. It's not like you show up and all of a sudden. You're you now have the title. You actually yeah. have to put the work in, right? But um, if you if you've been around wine, really, you should be able to pass it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think once you, when, if you do watch that the the psalm documentaries that are that are out, like, I don't think a whole lot of people have that level of dedication. Like, I I don't think I'd ever want to try to be like a master level psalm. just. The things that they know, the things that I'm just kind of like, I'm like, whoa.
0: Yeah, it's it's really really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would like a master level of something in my life because yeah. I'm that kind of egotist where I just I, I, I feel like I need it. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think I think for me though it's
1: because I looked into different courses with rum and I and I would love to see stuff on agave, but it's such a Growing industry, and we are constantly learning new things all the time. That something, and especially this is the case with agave, like something that might have
0: been the case a month ago. There's somebody doing it different. Sure, but that's half the fun, right? I mean, I mean, even if you are a master, I mean, you watch, you know, the Saw movie. Even after they get their master, they're like, okay, well, now the real work begins, right? You know, because they, you know, you, you. you don't know everything and that's it'd be so boring if you did, you know, and half the fun is still exploring and learning. Well, I don't know if
1: I'm saying that. What I think of what I'm saying is like then there's like information that's wrong, you know? And well, that's, sure. But I you have that, to be will
0: you have to be willing to evolve with your knowledge and yeah. be willing to accept new knowledge, which is But, I mean, but that's, like are that's those time old argument. Are those certifications evolving? I think that there's always an internal struggle with that no matter what and people always have those ideas. You know, I've heard the CSS often, oftentimes criticized for not evolving and a lot of misinformation being on that exam. Yeah. Um, I've talked to multiple people who've gone through it and they've all said that. Have they changed? Probably a little bit. You know, have they evolved? I I don't know because I'm not going through it currently. You know, I was studying for it a little while ago. Yeah. Life happens. I will get back to it. Um, Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's one of the things that's been a discouraging thing for me is like, if I go into it, they're saying, well, you know, there's a lot of misinformation here. I'm like, well, I don't want to learn the wrong stuff. Right. I don't want that. unlearning, you I to unlearn it. Right. I don't, want to, yeah. like, I don't want to learn it just so I can pass a test and then be like, okay, and all that stuff that was important is actually not. Um, so there's that. Okay. Moving on to our final topic, and this is actually a pretty long one as well. So I hope you guys are still hanging in there. Um, we're going to talk about gin and just its
0: robust growth. I was so impressed with this story. Now, and, and, and every time I thought I was impressed, I would reach a new level and, and a new part of the story and get re-impressed.
1: <laughs> so here are the highlights of what impresses Chris. Um, so it has grown in the super premium uh, category in the US by 4% being led by Tanqueray, Bombay, Sapphire, and Hendrix, uh, uh, occupying 33% of all the U.S. sales. This follows a trend that last year, when the International Wine and Spirits record showed gin grew 8%, stronger than any other spirit. Pink gin uh, has been labeled as the key growth driver. We'll get to that. Uh, Growth remains strong in typical markets like the U.K. and the Philippines. Uh, Sales doubled in Brazil due to the popularity of the the gin and tonic, which is like... It's incredible. Like... Congratulations, yeah, gin, Brazil.
0: Gin, gin, gin and tonic all of a sudden became a thing. Here's gin and tonic. Um So
1: from perspective, that's 8% growth. Agave spirits grew 5.5% in the U.S., which has been like the one that's being hailed as like the fat growing spirit. Where yeah, so if you've, really been pay,
0: if you've been paying attention to the market in the U.S. and you, or even if you haven't but you just sort of feel all of a sudden now you have this huge explosion of agave spirits and all these tequilas and all these mezcals that now you're seeing. Yeah gin grew more than that
1: right and then so the u.s hendrix surged sixteen percent in control states on top of a market-wide nineteen percent growth um half so brand manager Paige partners remarks half of our business remains in the on trade so that's the bars and and whatnot which telegraphs their marketing strategy to continue to focus on bar professionals and the outreach and i think that's always going to be the case that you got to get the bars on your side uh, Tangeray, which, you know, considered an industry leader, saw a 23% growth in 2019. <laughs> um, which is to couple that with the growth of the Aisho Zagabi portfolio, Don Julio saw a 37% increase. So again, the two spirits are seeing massive, massive growth right now. Other brands saw significant growth such as Boodles, Aviation, Martin Miller, Plymouth, Citadel, Blue Coat, Prairie Organic, and Drum Chimbo. Um Brandy mm. Ran of the IWSR for America, it draws a parallel to the plant conception. She, she calls it the plant theory. So to grow on that, plant theory is basically this big move towards vegetarians, vegans, and stuff like that. People are also applying that to gin because it's such a botanical-focused spirit that you can kind of be like, oh, I'm drinking berries and stuff like that. So there's that. And then to wrap this all up in a nice little bow, and again, we'll kind of we'll touch back on things. The UK pink gin sales were up. in
0: 2018. 751%. Yes. I mean, obviously they weren't doing Bacardi sales and then all of a sudden took over the world, right? But, (laughs) it still means that they existed and existed to a point where all of a sudden people started to realize that this was dope. Yeah. And the UK just went nuts for it. So... I've always found pink gin confusing
1: because when I would always look it up, I would find the
0: the cocktail, the cocktail, sure, and which I was is a like, "delicious cocktail."
1: When I was like, "I don't understand how this is growing so fast."
0: However, I'm not looking at the right thing. Correct. Pink gin is, uh, for lack of a better term, an infused gin, which is confusing because all gins are infusions, right? <laughs> right. So really what that means is that you you have a flavored a flavoring agent in that in that botanical set that is pushing it into more of a floral and or more of a fruity flavor profile so away from juniper yeah well, yeah not just juniper being your primary right so here in the US a great example would be Luxardo sour cherry gin right? So it's a cherry flavored gin. Not in the way that we are used to seeing flavored vodkas, which took over in the, in the 90s and, and early 2000s, right? Not yeah. with pretend flavors. This on, on the other end of the spectrum is considered to be a, um, a luxury. So the, these flavoring profiles are typically organic. There's something to be coveted, uh, something that, that, you know, you're not going to find um, you know, uh, Fruit Loop, Pink Gin. So this brings <laughs> it back to
1: the plant theory, which is you have all these people that are moving towards organic, vegan, vegetarian diets. This seems to be possibly like the drink version.
0: Of I, I that. think I think there's there is a set to this um, that that has that number involved, right? But I think really. The health consciousness of the global community has grown so much and we know that having a plant diet is pretty necessary, at least in some part of that, you know? Right. Eating only fried chicken and steak is probably not good for you, sure go we out, know that now. Go out the bang though. But adding the salad in there, some broccoli every once in a while, that's probably pretty good. Yeah, I'm still not on the kale tip. I know this is California, everybody loves their fucking kale. I'm not <laughs> one of them but you know we all know that that's a thing you know so i think that, that that's more her primary driver about the sort of the public consumption of that knowledge yeah. that she's that she's probably referring to
1: so with these with these gin sales what, what what do you think the other factors are because obviously it's not just this plant stuff i mean you're seeing this major growth i mean apparently brazil just discovered gin and tonics i mean what was happening there for the past couple hundred. Years. I, they were
0: drinking rum and cokes, right? <laughs> or which is um, fine. Like that's that's great. Or, or caipirinhas. Caprinas. Caprinas. That's what they or, were drinking. Uh, or or uh, what, what's a uh, uh, coke and red wine? Uh, what's that drink? That's um, the coke and red wine. Yeah, it's delicious. It's it's silly. It shouldn't be good. Brad Peters, I'm sure, is going to text me after he listens to this, and he's going to remind me. Which it's pretty great that we have Brad listening. That's a win. So we'll find out. Well, I guess we'll find out first if Brad's listening and then if he texts me, we'll know. Is it the Kalimoco? It's the Kalimocho, thank you. Kalimocho. Kalimocho, that's right. Producer Drew coming through. (laughs) Kalimocho.
1: It's spelled K A L I M O T X O Uh but pronounced Kalimocho. Kalimocho. Is a drink consisting of equal parts, red wine, and the cocoa and the cola based soft drink? Dating from the 1970s, which we all know was the peak of cocktailing. <laughs> uh, um, it is an icon of the Basque culture and one of Spain's most international drinks. That is so weird. I'm going to have one tonight. Oh Excellent. my god. delicious.
0: Weird. Um, okay, so well, back, back to the story, right? So So they, I think, and the rest of the world... Much like the Philippines, who loves gin, yeah, uh, which is always kind of funny until you really think about it. It's refreshing. It's multiple f- layers of flavor, yeah. and I think that that's what the world's starting to come back to realize. You know, everybody's kind of peeling off of these uh, singular vision um, uh, spirits and looking for complex experiences in their life, and gin yeah. definitely offers that. You know,
1: yeah, I think also part of it has to be the american craft distiller movement
0: cannot be denied that this is a huge part of of at very least the global push
1: yeah and so let's let's say you want to open up a distillery and you want to make whiskey but you want to do it the quote unquote right way well you're going to lay down some whiskey but you got to find some way to make money in the meantime so what can you do well i can take a neutral grain spirit I can distill it and then infuse some botanicals with it and I got a gin, now I can put a gin out on the market. And so the market has been flooded with the quote unquote craft gins. Yeah. Which is funny
0: because craft gin then becomes a necessity to craft whiskey. Yeah. Right? Like the two the two are not inseparable. They are they are the same conversation then.
1: Right. Right. So with that being the case, you know, you have all these different people that are trying stuff that Might have, might not have tried gin before, but let's say you play up the whole like, oh, it's local, like oh, cool. Well, I'll try it because it's local, and then maybe you're converting people that way because I think gin is one of those ones that people have in their mind. It's like, oh, that's the one that tastes like pine needles, right? You know, then you're like, well, yeah, it does, but you know, it doesn't always. I think a you know great example of that is is one that we have locally,
0: which is the Darjeeling gin, and which. Someone actually came into my store today and asked for and I regret you know, not taking your advice and buying it. <laughs> not to say that I'm not ultimately going to buy it, and I think yeah. I already have placed an order for yeah. it. Yeah, you'll, you'll have a Thursday. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> so, lady, who I don't know, yeah. but who is very pleasant, if you come back in on Thursday, you'll have it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Ed's mindset towards it was like he wanted to make a whiskey, but he wanted to do a gin first. He was not a, a huge fan. Of gin, Um, and mostly because of those juniper notes. So he went out and created this different, you know, nine botanical based gin where the primary botanical is Darjeeling tea leaves. And it ends up being this very pleasant. product that is very approachable a lot of people and again another shout out to my wife it's her favorite gin now
0: yeah you know it's it's really again back to what i my my past argument it's a really unique experience totally you know and that's the fun part about gins is when they're done right yeah when they're done right yeah you know and there's there's a lot of ways it can be done wrong there's a, also a lot of flavor profiles all over the place so so it can right. make a lot of different preferences well a gin that you referenced earlier that kind of
1: has ushered in a lot of gin drinkers as well has been Hendrix with the cucumber taste yeah you know, c- cucumber and roses it's been it's been a major vehicle for people to come into the gin market and try these different things and then of course you know uh to me I I always use the gin and tonic as kind of like one of my like barometers for for any like random bar I go into where I was, like, you can play it safe like I'll just, just give me a gin and tonic You know, like that's always going to be my go-to if I don't, if I don't feel comfortable at that bar.
0: What what I'm curious is, um, how often do you go into a bar and they offer you a choice of tonics?
1: Oh man, not very. And it's really unfortunate because even just within my own portfolio, we have this really awesome selection of different types of tonic. And... And you don't see that too many places, and it's and it's a bummer because it's something that you can really create these really unique. Like again, coming back to experiences, like having a gin and tonic, kind of build your own gin and tonic where you have these multiple choices and stuff like that. And um, you know, I think that's I think that's super fun, and it's something that's often overlooked.
0: I mean, the gin and tonic is huge as a cocktail in Spain. It's so big. Yeah, but they have bars dedicated to gin and tonics every bar you go to even if it's a beer bar has their own gin and tonic Well, it's also it but they're like i mean they're serving it to you in big
1: like bordeaux red wine glasses yeah. well, as so, well sometimes and because yeah. like because so, so
0: much a part of it they've is like crushed juniper in it they've got sage it's like hanging out of it it's yeah it's a It's its own drink, right? Right. Uh, And everybody has their own way of doing it, which is my... I I would be surprised if Brazil wasn't following suit in that that same fashion.
1: Well, there's maybe some sort of local items that are being incorporated into this gin and tonic, like like this local flavor that kind of goes with it and and stuff. Um,
0: What was really sort of what drew me to this story was that I have a couple friends who make gin... You know, and they have trouble selling it. And I think it's delicious gin. Yeah, I think part of it a is selling things is just hard. I can attest to that. (laughs) Yes, as can I. (laughs) Um, I think also, you know, I my feeling was that you know the gin craze of the last seven years was kind of dying down obviously I'm wrong these numbers you know but that's just my perception in in my own bubble that I live in you know uh, and seeing seeing what it was seeing what I was experiencing years ago and and clearly just having blinders on and, and just relying on my own experience what I find really fascinating is that it seems that the rest of the country and the world is loving gin and they're they're not just loving gin, they're continuing to love it, and they're continuing to discover it in new ways. That that obviously, like the numbers show, that it's just exploding.
1: So, is it a situation where maybe that gin isn't that good?
0: I don't <laughs> think so. I think I think we live in California, and we tend to um, we tend to be at the forefront of a lot of um, movement. So, you think they're just behind? N- not necessarily, because, you know, we'll use the tidal wave sort of analogy. You know, you get the first wave that that comes along, the rest of the wave has to catch up. But what's happening to that water first, that on the underside, it's getting drawn back into the main wave. So, I don't, it's n- not that they're behind, it's that they're catching up. But I, obviously, we can see with 751% growth of pink gins my guess is most Californians have no clue what pink gin is yeah right like I and said, so with 751 percent growth that's clearly just overtaking what that what our experience is
1: yeah yeah
0: well um that's all i have for you today all right man i think that was really great uh if you guys again have any questions uh we'd love we'd love to hear from you and i'm sure that uh brad will be hitting me up and telling me that he's really upset at me for forgetting the name of a Cali Mocho. <laughs> yeah, so find us
1: on um, Instagram. I'm at dgarson 6 as well as Twitter. And then also our email is thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail. And then your social media is?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Chris Sinflair, F-L-A-I-R. You can find me on Facebook as well. Um, or you can just uh, you find me at the Good Bottle Shop any any day right now. I pretty much live here all day, every day, um, right here in Sacramento. So if you want to come in, have a conversation, it'd be great. I'd love to talk to you. All right, cheers, buddy. Cheers, man.
1: The Good Bottle Podcast was recorded at the Good Bottle Shop in Sacramento, California. Music is by Leon Moore and Chase Moore. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Good Bottle Podcast.